Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. I like to think that we serve multiple purposes on the weekly podcast, and with such a wide array of topics across the legal industry, we might even address different needs in a single podcast. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and at the heart of uh, Chicago's Legal Latte is a, partially a desire to demystify and simplify certain legal terms and processes, concepts, things like that, but we also try to educate, and in doing so, there are times when we can help people in and out of the field, get a better understanding of the law. But there's also times when I think our topic can really hit home for various people and say, yeah, I just I was thinking about that. I've got that question. I'm in that situation myself. So I think today we do a little bit of both. Um, I'm going to welcome back to the podcast Lavelle Law Attorney Ryan Gardner. And in doing so, I think we'll cover a number of bases as we discuss shared ownership of vacation properties. We, uh, I'm sure with Ryan's help, will provide a good legal basis for the topic. But I think many of you may be in this situation or on the verge of being in it, and, and hopefully we can help you along the way. So let's get to it. Ryan, good afternoon. Haven't talked to you in a while. Thanks for being here. Hi, Jim. Great to be back with you again. Now, I can envision a few different scenarios for this discussion regarding vacation properties. The first is one in which uh, siblings or other family members decide to pool resources and go in together buying a vacation home. And the other is one in which an uh, individual or couple may own property, and as they advance in age, start perhaps looking ahead to how they're going to dispose of that property and perhaps gift it to children or family members. Are, are those the two most common occurrences you see? Yeah, I mean, that's that's really what a lot of my clients are facing, uh, some of some of which, uh, or some of whom, I should say, have have this property already. Maybe they, uh, husband and wife own that property, and now they're thinking about the next generation. Obviously, such great memories at this lake house, ski house, uh, second home, whatever it may be, uh, and now we need to start thinking about the future. And then there may be some other of my clients, and this is one I just had uh, just maybe about a month or so ago, where they have inherited a property. Uh, it's a brother and a sister who have inherited property, and eventually they want it to go down to their respective children. Um, and so they're starting to think about it in a different way. Uh, you know, they just received this property from mom and dad. They obviously have different uh, lifestyles, different, uh, they live in different states, they're a different usage of the property. So we just want to have kind of some discussions about, you know, how we're going to move forward from here uh, in, in, either, in, either, uh, in either case. So let's let's uh, provide the legal view of that. First of all, you know, I assume that sound footing says let's let's put this into some sort of ownership entity. What what are some of the um, options that might be available to people in that situation? Well, that's that's exactly right. I mean, there's a couple of good options out there, and, and it's it's really just we try to tailor all of our estate plans or whatever business planning, whatever real estate planning that we uh, tax planning, whatever that we do for our clients here. We really do customize that to each person's specific situation. So it's not as if one is going to be better than another in different situations. We just really have to flesh out kind of what's important to the client, what's going on in the future, kind of what are the considerations now. Obviously, you know, in any of these family situations, there's going to be history. There's going to be some dynamics at play that are, you know, going to be uh, different for every family. And sometimes, you know, it can get heated. So our goal is to try to get out ahead of some of that or at least 
stymie some of those uh, some of those feelings. So, you know, and to your question, you know, what are some of these different structures? So, you know, we've all heard of uh, LLCs. That stands for Limited Liability Company. Okay, so that's one structure that we can have in place. That's where you know co-owners can have very highly specific uh, rules and can really make these legally binding considerations about how the property will be shared. Um, typically that's done through what's called an operating agreement that is something that, that we prepare here and then you know we have to file with that uh, Secretary of State in whatever state that property uh, is, is situated in. That's where we have to file and make sure that we, you know we, we can use the right name and, and stay up to date with our annual reporting and all the kind of considerations that we have to do with respect to that state's requirements from a Secretary of State standpoint. We also can own property in what's called tenants in common. Tenants in common is where we have all the different co-owners, whether that's you know three brothers or a brother and a sister or as many you know family members as you can imagine or uh, just friends. Friends can also, of course, own property together. And tenants in common ensures that each one of those individuals can really do what they want to do with their portion or their fractional interest in the property, which, of course, is good in some respects. You know, they can put it into their own revocable living trust. They can, uh, you know, potentially mortgage the property or use it as collateral. But that leads to some other potential cons there that, you know, this person really can do what they want with it without an agreement, uh, you know, maybe a co-tenancy agreement to the contrary that kind of has a more clear delineation of what each person is allowed to do with that fractional share. We've also, of course, heard of joint tenancy. Most, most people these days own property as, as a husband and wife uh, in joint tenancy. Uh, you know, and that's, that's a fine way to hold property, but of course we have some cons there as well because, you know, yes, owners are going to share equal percentages of the property and they'll buy and close on things together, so we have some kind of structure in place for what's going to happen there. But, then it, but if an owner dies his or her stake is going to transfer to the remaining owners rather than to that deceased owner's children or other, other heirs that they would want it to otherwise go to. So it's kind of a last man on the hill standing is going to take the entirety of the property, which is not really a good structure for a lot of people. Of course, we can always have a trust, uh, as we've talked about on previous podcasts, Jim, uh, whether that's a revocable trust, uh, a land trust, and maybe even for the more complex uh, planning of what we call a qualified personal residence trust, short term for that is a QPERT. Um, of course, pros and cons to any of that as well. So obviously we have a lot of different uh, structures or, or ways we can hold this property, but every situation is different. So we really like to kind of get to know our clients and, and make the, give them the education so they can make the informed decision. And as you said, each of them, and you gave us a taste of that, have, have certain pros and cons. So before someone jumps into this, as you just suggested, sit down, have a review of what those different options are and what it means now and what it might mean down the road before you go too much further and, and then set up the right structure. Is that, is that the best way to go about it? Oh, I, I think so. I mean, whenever I'm, I'm meeting with somebody, there's no, there's no cookie-cutter, uh, you know, one-size-fits-all type of approach. It really has to be a holistic understanding of the family, the dynamics, and, you know, wh where we see this property going in the future. I was just speaking with a, uh, a client of mine who is you know, contemplating just what we're talking about here. Um, he is the second generation, so he has not received it yet. His father and their, his siblings 
are currently co-owners of this property, but you know they're not getting any younger. And you know this client of ours is in his 40s, and so obviously you know he's thinking about it for now. His next generation too once once he receives it. But you can imagine with three different siblings owning fractional shares. They all have their own children who in turn all have their own children. So by the time it gets down to my client's children, there could be 12, 15, 20 different co-owners of this property. So it's always better to kind of have that clear definition on the front end so we're not playing catch-up on the back end. And that includes, I'm sure, you know, when, when someone comes to Lavelle Law, they're looking for some legal assistance, and you, you talked about the entities, uh, LLC, or you've been talking about you know, creating a, what I guess I would call a corporate structure, filing reports with the state and such, and people think that's overwhelming. But aside from that, and, and you guys I don't think want to get in the middle of this, but if someone's entering an agreement like this, you got to worry about who's going to use it when and the cleaning and the maintenance and all those things, which can be the things that blow up and, and cause things to go bad. While you may not you know, get in the middle of that, does it make sense and do you see that to, for those people, they really should put something in writing to say this is how we're going to operate to make sure that they don't come to you later with bigger problems. And that, that's my exactly my recommendation to to most people. So whether some want to use LLCs, they want to be a little bit more sophisticated. That's fine. For those that would rather just you know have the property owned in tenants in common or in their own trust in tenants in common, that's fine as well. Uh, you know, one kind of uh, agreement that I've seen, and I worked on a, a client who had a, a Michigan lake house, uh, and what's in favor in, in the state of Michigan right now is what's called a co-tenancy agreement. So, you know, it's it's not some 40-page document. This this one that I recently helped on and kind of was a co-counsel on with my Michigan uh, co-counsel was about six pages, and it had some background and purpose and management of the property and it had a real real excuse me a real clear definition as to you know what this usage is and schedule for use when it can be used which responsible party is going to be in charge of upkeep uh, expectations for cleanliness and tidiness what happens if we have any type of unexpected costs you know you know your, your sister fixed the roof last year but I paid the tax bill this year, so now who owes whom? If we don't have a nice definition of you know who's supposed to uh, be in charge of what, that gets to be uh, pretty pretty uh, daunting. You know, one of our clients, one thing I, I actually really like that I've started proposing this to some of my other clients is you know one solution is to rotate the job so that nobody has to do it full time. Uh, this this family had a uh, had a, fa- a family lake house in Eagle River, Wisconsin. A really nice piece of property, and there was three sisters. And initially, what they did is they, defi- is they divided the responsibility for the home into three buckets. One was financial, one was operations, and one was upkeep. So, really, we had kind of, and then, and then every year they rotated those responsibilities throughout the three sisters, so nobody had to really bear the brunt of it uh, throughout. Um, but you know, that that's one thing that I saw. Uh, as kind of something that can work, but absolutely have regular meetings, open and honest communication as best we can. And, you know, if there's some contention, we need to have something in writing. That's always what it comes down to. We're uh, we're flying through a uh, discussion here on uh, owning uh, second properties, vacation homes among family members or friends and being uh, joined by uh, attorney Ryan Gardner of Lavelle Law. And we're going to not have enough time to cover everything, so let me send you over to lavellelaw.com. 
Uh, you can find some articles and background on Ryan and his practice in estate planning. And estate planning is critical here. You mentioned something earlier I just want to make sure we get to, Ryan, which is what happens sort of at the back end. Now, if there's a group of people, one of them may lose their job and not have the finances to be a part of it anymore. When they move, move away, someone's going to pass away. Um, you want to make sure that in this process you all know who gets what or who has the rights to what if someone wants or is forced out of the combination. And is that something you build into the uh, agreement then? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, first and foremost, you know, life happens, right? So, you know, people lose their job, people may move, people may, you know, just really not not have the time to go to this to this uh, family's uh, lake house or ski lodge or whatever it may be. Um, so we always want to, in those agreements or in that LLC operating agreement or the co-tenancy agreement or the trust, whatever instrument or document is controlling the management of this property, we want to give that person who's an owner, uh, a, a way to opt out, okay? That's how they drop out. So we would, of course, then want to give the other family members or the other friends who are in co-ownership of this property what we call a right of first refusal. And what that means is that that person who wants to drop out, their interest could be purchased first by those other co-owners so that they can decide to keep it in the family if they want as opposed to just having that uh, person who wants to drop out, who's a tenant in common, whatever it may be, just uh, go sell it to somebody that these other co-owners would really not uh, like to be in business with or, or own that property with. Now they're sharing, you know, potentially the, the family lake house with a stranger for, who would pay top dollar. So, of course, we want to give the family or the other friends who are involved in this co-ownership the opportunity to purchase that uh, departing owner's share uh, before, before just, uh, you know, leaving it to chance. Uh, for somebody who dies, Jim, uh, you know, typically, of course, that's going to be handled in their estate plan documents, a will, a trust, something like that. But we have to be careful about property in other states. If we don't incorporate that, uh, that uh, piece of property in Michigan, Wisconsin, California, wherever it may be, into the Illinois estate plan that we're helping our clients draft, that state's rules, Michigan, Wisconsin, California, wherever it may be, will decide what happens to that person's property under that state's probate act. Now we're dealing with a probate in another state. And I know we've talked about the pains and trials and tribulations of probate before, Jim, and it's something that we try to avoid at all costs. So, again, it's something we just want to have clearly defined in all these different agreements and estate plan documents. Well, fabulous uh, review today from Ryan Gardner, and uh, I'm going to let him go because he's got a lot to do today. I appreciate his time with us here on the podcast and look forward to talking with him again. And certainly look forward to having you back. If you want to reach Ryan, uh, 847-705-7555, labellelaw.com, of course, with plenty of information. And we will look forward to talking with you on our next podcast. Thanks so much for being here. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.